uh, once more from the Ellis home, uh, but delighted uh, to be with you in spirit, if not, if not uh, physically. And this evening we're going to look at Psalm 75, and it applies, I think, very directly to this moment uh, in uh, not only our history um, in this country, but also uh, also in the world. Um, so please turn with me to Psalm. 75, and I would appreciate having you having your Bibles open tonight uh, to this text. And I want you to notice that when we start at verse 2 down through verse 5, that is a direct quotation from the Lord. The Lord is directing his, uh, his voice to us, uh, not through a prophet, not through a psalmist, but directly at that point. And so, um, Tend your heart, really, to this whole psalm. Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. This is God's word. The flowers fade, the grass withers, the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me, please. God, our Father, we are humbled before you this evening and uh, entrust ourselves to you and entrust ourselves to the ministry of the Spirit that this word would pierce our hearts, uh, would prick our consciences, would salve our hearts where needed. And we pray, O oh God, that you would, you would minister to us directly through your word um, tonight. Amen. Well, there are things that I wouldn't think to pray for uh, if it weren't for the Psalms. Psalm 75 is a really good example of that. Here in this passage, we are called to thank God for the day of judgment on the nations and our rescue, true enough, but to thank God for his judgment. Now, in this day also, we want to consider, may we, should we, are we called to thank God for the early tremor of that final judgment in COVID-19? We say Jesus is king over all. Jesus is king over the coronavirus. And we read in Amos, does disaster come to a city? unless the Lord has done it? And so we say yes. 
we are to thank God even in this time, but not without tears. Jesus saw Jerusalem's suffering. It was 40 years before the Romans would crush Jerusalem, destroy it, and scatter the individuals, the the, uh, population. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of her blindness. He wept over Jerusalem because she would be destroyed. And so we too appropriately weep over our nation's afflictions today. We think of businesses, small businesses, many that are closing. We think of the unemployment rate that is approaching, if not passing, the unemployment rate during the Great Depression. This is families that are affected, families that don't know how to pay for their mortgage or their rent or for their food. A friend of ours uh, who works at the Bowery Mission in New York City uh, told us that the lines are much longer for those waiting for meals. And they are not the indigents that we so often think of. These are middle class people hungry. Our psalm opens up speaking of our response to God for his wondrous deeds. It is easy for us to think about the creation as a wondrous deed, and it certainly is. We see the beauty of God reflected in the way that the sun shines, in the way people reflect as image bearers the very nature and being of God. We are accustomed to Thank God for his wondrous deeds of redemption, for our great rescue through the person of Jesus. And so that first first verse says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. But judgment? Could that be one of them? Is that one of the wondrous deeds? Look with me down at verses 9 and 10. Um, I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. That is praiseworthy stuff. The horns of the wicked cut off, even as the horns of the righteous are lifted up. Now, maybe a recall of um, Israel's Passover will help us here. Uh, you may recall that uh, that each time the Passover was celebrated, there was a, a, a ritual that went on, a liturgy that went on in the home. As the story was retold, the gospel was retold, the gospel of the Exodus at that point. And the kids would ask, why do we celebrate this meal on this night with a lamb uh, and with the unleavened bread? And the father would say, remember the Lord's Passover. And then he mentions two things. Always these two things. Every year, these things would be mentioned. The angel of death passed over our homes. Our homes. And struck down the Egyptians. Some were brought down. Others were lifted up. Praise God for both. 
Now the theme of this message this evening is that we would find stable joy and compassionate service in this early term. Stable joy, stable joy and compassionate service. The psalm opens up, of course, by speaking of God's fair judgment. God's judgment is timed perfectly. Jesus will return at just the right time. May we also say that COVID-19 occurred at just the right time. Um, at the set time, verse 2, I that, that I appoint, I will judge with equity. Now, God judging with equity means, again, a, a two-edged sword there. He vindicates, he clears some who display the fruit of the Spirit, who are evidently children of God. We are vindicated by the works that the Spirit does in us and declared with power to be the children of God. And so we are vindicated, but there is also not vindication, but vengeance on God's enemies. I noticed that in our Easter songs last week, each of the three that we sang in the morning, hell was referenced. And, and I was thinking, even at that time as we were singing, that, that for us in our modern day, um, an eternal hell uh, seems rather extreme. And many times we might think that we would be more generous than God in our punishment. And yet God, uh, God uh, judges with equity. He is always just. Hell is neither cruel nor unusual punishment. None will be punished too severely. None will be punished too lightly. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. And yet even so, in the, in the meanwhile, it seems like the creation will collapse under the evil that we see around us and suffering itself. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep it steady, keep steady its pillars. I know that, uh, that I have been, I have wondered at times, I have questioned at times, uh, the delay of God's judgment. And this verse, has given uh, me great comfort uh, from time to time. From 1 Timothy chapter 5, the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Some people are, are seen to be, will, will, their justice will catch up to them in this earth. Others, that justice will follow them and finally be inflicted uh, in the in the in in hell itself. Now here you are. Maybe you have um, experienced some raw injustice in your own life, and maybe it is extremely difficult for you to put up with the way that you have been treated or a loved one has been treated in an unjust and in an unjust fashion. But every injustice will be accounted for. Every injustice will be accounted for. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, either now or certainly later. 
So God steadies the world, even with the evil and the suffering that goes on. He steadies the world, and it's as if verse 3 is saying, I got this, I'm, I'm here to keep the pillars standing. Yet when we come to verse 4, uh, the mood shifts and the direction of God's indictment sharpens, and he says that he will bring down the proud. I, I would invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 uh, to what we call the Magnificat, uh, Mary's Gospel Hymn, very similar to this section in Psalm 75. I want to read that. I want you to I'm going to read that whole, uh, that whole section and, and just listen to the justice that God will bring about through Jesus, uh, the son of, of Mary. Mary said, this is Luke 1, beginning at verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. There is a bringing down of the proud. There is a lifting up of the humble. And as we think of people who are walking around or with masks on, walking around our streets these days, friends, acquaintances of ours, we recognize that in those who are rejecting the Lord, there is certainly pride. There is pride because the unbeliever um, knows that the creation declares God's glory. The, the, the creation, uh, the order, the beauty of our creation reflects God's order and beauty. And as in even more personally, as image bearers, they know themselves to be part of his creation, and even in their own hearts, they reflect his presence as well as his justice. Uh, Romans 1 says this, that they know his decree. The unbeliever knows the decree of God, and that is this, that those who practice all of the 22 or so sins of Romans 1 deserve to die. They know themselves to be lawbreakers, Deserving death. They know God. But earlier in that chapter it says they refuse, they refuse to honor him as God and they refuse to do one other thing. They refuse to say thank you. Now why would people be so resistant to honor God or to say thank you? Why would that be such a, why would those words just Freeze in one's mouth. Well, to say thank you to someone is a recognition that you owe him more. To say thank you to God 
is to say that I owe you my heart, my life, my obedience, my choices, today's choices. And yet there's, pr- there's pride that courses through humankind. During the Civil War, President Lincoln called for a day of prayer and fasting. And these are a couple of comments in that declaration for prayer and fasting. We have been more prosperous than any nation in history, but we have forgotten God and have become intoxicated on our own success. That could have been written last year. But God allows suffering to remind us that he is the source of every blessing. And yet, as we see in verse 4, we have lifted up our horn, our strength, and said that this is enough. We have spoken with a haughty neck, not bowing before the Lord. And we can recognize that in our nation, there is an intoxication with our own prosperity. Uh, There is a a sense of, of being bloated with our own success. There is pride. Uh, There is a a resolve to remain at all costs, self-reliant. And and the saying, we will will get this virus, just give us enough time, we will cure all ills with a vaccine. And yet look at what must be the high point of this this psalm in verse 8. It is a high point both for its horror as well as for its beauty. The punishment for our pride is a cup of God's wrath. The Lord pours out his wrath as if out of a bowl, his wrath of judgment, and none can escape it. The biblical word for this is retribution. We get back from God immediately, or we get back from God uh, precisely what we deserve. It is foaming wine. Elsewhere it says hot with spices. And is this... This passage, this this idea of the cup is is, um, treated throughout Scripture. There are several responses that people give to it. One is that those who drink this this, uh, steaming, foaming wine of God's judgment reel before him. They are reeling or they are vomiting or or they are crazed with having drunk uh, this wine. God's judgment, God's punishment, just and appropriate, and the stupendous wonder of God's grace is that he drinks your punishment himself. Jesus recoiled at Gethsemane. He recoiled as if to push it away, and the question comes, Father, is there any other way that we can do this? And certainly if there were, uh, the Father would have found it. And yet God here is his own recompense. The words of the centurion are far more accurate and far more complex than even he was aware at that time. But he said truly this was the Son of God. Around 1100, uh, someone by the name of, of Anselm, Uh, wrote a book called Why God Became Man. Why was it necessary for God to to take human form and come into the world in order to 
um, to experience the retribution on our behalf. And this is what this is what Anselm said. No one can pay except God. And no one ought to pay except man. Too great for you or for me to pay. But the Lord must. Think of this then. Jesus draining uh, that cup to the dregs, emptying it of every speck of the Father's wrath. Why? Why would he do that? You remember what Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. Well, what is this joy? What was the joy that drinking that cup would bring about for our Lord Jesus? Uh, John puts it this way in a couple of different places. My joy uh, is in them and that their joy may be full. And, and he says that I desire that they may be with me where I am. That's my desire for their joy to be full and for them to be with me. And so the goal of all of human history is for Jesus to get his bride, secure his bride, and bring her into glory, and have that marriage supper of the Lamb. For all eternity, a royal wedding celebration. This, our husband's greatest joy, is his wife's happiness. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I, I enjoy about being home these weeks as we shelter at home is I'll be working downstairs here and I'll hear my wife up on the phone. Uh, Gail will be talking to someone, encouraging someone, just enjoying people, and it's her laugh. I'll just hear her laugh and that just makes me happy. When she's laughing, I'm happy. And Jesus' joy is that we bask in his blood-bought love, that we soak in his beauty and his splendor. And we recognize that Ephesians 5 is not first of all about how husbands and wives on this planet are to care for love and respect each other. It is about Jesus and his bride. And so let his delight in you warm your delight in him. As he has taken this cup, as he has taken your condemnation upon himself. This is the source of stable joy that Jesus has drained that cup of every bit of condemnation for you. So we are able to face not only the, the, the day of, of the final judgment that is coming, but today's early tremor. We can face them with with. This stable joy, because we know that we have the Father's favor. Now, having said that, is we don't always reflect or experience or project this joy. The joy of those whose condemnation has been thoroughly drained and drunk by the Lord Jesus. Well, let's probe here just a little bit. Do you ever, do you ever try to, to take back the cup and drink just a little bit yourself? Do you ever allow the cup of God's wrath to linger on your lips? 
and, and in your heart. You see, we sip on that cup when we meditate on our own unworthiness, the things that we have left undone, the things that we that we did that we shouldn't have done. And we can be preoccupied with those things and be missing the beauty and the glory of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. As much as we talk about it. There are times when our joy level does not match the beauty of Christ's gift at all. And that, my friends, is not due to humility. It's not due to our humility. Such a delightful time, as I've mentioned uh, in my Confessing Christ class, that's always a high point of my year, just to, to hang out with those kids. And one of the things that we were talking about this past week was was the sense of condemnation that we have when our lives are not centered on the cross. Okay, uh, we, are, we are to have our lives centered on the gospel, centered on the cross of Christ, and yet there are times that our thinking can, can shift away from the beauty of Christ's forgiveness, and we have a sense of condemnation. And I, made the, I asked the question, what does the sense of condemnation that this chapter is talking about, and that each of us can identify in some measure, what does that sense of condemnation say about Jesus? And one of my little, I don't want to be condescending, one of my star pupils at this point said, it means that Jesus didn't do enough. You see, Jesus having drained that cup of God's wrath, that cup of God's, of God's judgment, that's taken that from us and given us instead the cup of thanksgiving, the cup of blessing, and that's the only cup we have to drink of. And that's, therefore, as we receive his unbending, his unbending favor, um, we have that stable joy. So even in the midst of COVID, because of who Jesus is, our relationship to him, we may have a stable joy. But the other thing, this is God's set time for the church to be in mission. We are to be in, involved in compassionate service of some kind or another. And so we look for ways to serve now, when we can, and certainly when New Jersey opens up. We want to be a light in our respective communities. We want to be a light in our neighborhood. I would encourage you to talk about this around your tables to talk about, to engage your kids in, in ways that, that you can serve and minister to the people in your community, the people in our own church, but the people in your community as well. I was so struck by a praise that my son-in-law gave at our Zoom, family Zoom meeting uh, a week ago uh, to, uh, on Sunday night. And uh, one of his praises was that he had encouraged the kids in the youth group uh, to to write letters to um, the some the older folks in the congregation, and um, and uh, and and he he gave the names of some of the older folks to the kids, and, and one girl came back and she said, "Well, I finished now," and so he ended up giving her additional addresses, and she wrote to she wrote letters to fifteen of the older folk in their congregation, and many of these people were writing back, and then she's writing another letter, and she's not just writing, hi, how are you? She's writing two and three pages describing how the COVID virus is affecting her and her family, concern for them, concern for the church, concern for the world, and so forth. 
And so letters are flying back and forth, connecting generations in the Church of Jesus Christ. Great, great example. Great idea of a way to serve. So look for ways to serve. And Andrew and I will be thinking and praying about that ourselves uh, for our congregation and speaking with the elders as well. Look for ways to serve. We are to be involved in this moment, this rare moment in compassionate service. But then pray also. Secondly, secondly, pray for an opportunity to speak of the one who has conquered death. Keep in mind that in what is going on right now, God is revealing himself through COVID-19. He is revealing himself that this world is under God's wrath. He's revealing that in the brokenness of our world. And so we pray for our neighbors that they would see Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Viktor Frankl uh, was a, a Jewish doctor in uh, Nazi Germany, and he made this statement. Think of this as being written by a Jewish man um, in the 1940s. Man is not destroyed by suffering. He is destroyed by suffering without meaning. Your neighbors are not destroyed by suffering. They may, however, be destroyed by suffering without meaning. And guess what? That's where you come in. Because you have experienced stable joy in Jesus. And so you have an opportunity to share that stable joy with your neighbors, even in the way, your demeanor, the way you, the way you may invite them over. What a great conversation. Um, how'd you all do um, in, uh, during the shutdown? How'd you do? And then expect the Spirit to open some doors. Pray. Pray that as the Word is going out, not only from our pulpit, over live streaming, but across the world, people are tuning in to sermons about Jesus that they never would in any other time. So pray, pray for the Spirit to bring conviction and then faith and hope and salvation. Now finally, um, God is speaking uh, to each one of us as well in this moment. He's speaking to each one of us about that cup of judgment. And the question for each one of us, kids, you have perhaps grown up in a Christian home and you are very comfortable, perhaps in a Christian environment. And you may think that being a Christian is simply being steady and going to church and not doing anything outrageous. And then you're in. But being a Christian is one who puts faith and trust in Jesus who drinks the cup of God's condemnation in that boiling, spiced wine to drink it for you and then to give to you the cup of blessing. 
if you've not yet come to Jesus. Uh, Don't let this day pass you by. This is a day God is revealing himself through both judgment and mercy. Let's pray. God and Father, in this world that appears to be tottering uh, on pillars, it appears to be in great um, threat, and many people are suffering, many, many of us suffering. We pray that as you have revealed yourself to your world, uh, even in these days, you would also reveal the God-man that you would show him through your special revelation, through your people, through the ministry of the word uh, here over the Internet and through the lives of our people in their neighborhoods. Let us let us have that stable, that stable joy that can display and will display the beauty of our Savior. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.